Thank you, John. Uh, John is a recent college grad, and uh, we've all been there before. You graduate from college, uh, and then real life begins, and you don't know really what to do. <laughs> and so John has been in that phase for some time, and the Lord has been speaking to him. Um, you know, I do want to just, um, you know, highlight and encourage people towards um, joining us for our prayer meetings. Uh, the past two years with, uh, with just this pandemic going on, uh, a lot of things in our ministry and our church, it, it's been a bit scattered. Uh, we have been restricted from gathering as a congregation. We would gather and then, you know, people would get sick. Uh, but what has sustained us uh, has been the prayer meetings. Um, Thursday in the evenings, it's uh, virtual by Zoom. Um, it's a simple prayer um, time where we read a psalm or you read a psalm before the meeting and then you come and you just pray that psalm together. Um, you know, no obligations. Um, you know, if you just need prayer on Thursday night and just want to once again focus on the kingdom, um, you know, you, you can uh, join us for that. Saturday morning, we meet in person uh, in the uh, fellowship hall for intercessory prayer. Uh, these are just the two things, uh, two prayer meetings that we've been um, continuing on throughout uh, the pandemic. And so we want to encourage the church to, to join. Um, you know, I, I've, I've said this in the past, but uh, Leonard Ravenhill, who was a pastor uh, in the United Kingdom uh, in the past century, uh, let's have scripture open us up to Genesis 25. And um, as we continue in our series in the kingdom of God and the family, we'll look at Genesis 25 and we'll read verses 29 to 34. So let's all rise for the reading of his good and holy word. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil soup, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. This is the reading of God's holy word. Thanks be to God. Amen. Will you join with me in prayer once more? Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a good and perfect father. And we thank you that you have sent your one and only son, that he may be a brother to us one who saves us, who secures salvation for us, and leads us to the Father's house. We ask this morning, Lord, that you would touch our hearts, you would soften it, that we would hear your word, and then your Holy Spirit would do its work to counsel us, to teach us, to guide us, and to show us more of Christ. We thank you, and we ask this of you in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a two-part uh, docu-series uh, called Han Wu Rhapsody. There's a picture there. You guys can go ahead and search for that. Um, and in this uh, docu-series, it explores uh, one of my favorite things, which is beef. Now, I never had the opportunity to try it, but it's called Hanwu beef. Now, Hanwu is a breed of small cattle, and it's native to Korea. 
And when they explained the flavor profiling, and maybe some of you guys did have the pleasure of trying it, this is how they describe it. They say it's somewhere between the, the, the beefiness of an American prime steak and the delicious and fatty and ever-succulent Wagyu. So they said it's this perfect middle where it's deep in the beefy flavor, yet highly marbled and has a slight sweetness to it. I mean, that sounds perfect, right? And so the docuseries goes through, in the first episode, how these cattle are raised, how they're treated, the whole history of it. And episode one is all about the way they butcher the animal and all the different cuts and how they grill it up and what they do to barbecue and how it might differ from other regions. And they explore this whole thing. And one, one thing that's amazing that I found is in Korea, when you go to the supermarket, They say that you can look on the label and there's a code there. And you go on some kind of website and you put in the code and it tells you everything that cattle ate. They tell you where it's from, the age, and you can just get this full profile. I mean, you thought the dating apps were pretty in-depth. I mean, this thing, what cut it's from, what it ate, everything. Not only that, I heard you can take it upstairs, the meat that you just bought. Some man will come with charcoal. You can just grill it up right there. Sounds great. Episode two moves on, and now it's focusing on all the types of stews and soups that are traditionally made. And in episode two, the host, my mouth is watering. I'm sorry. I'm I'm smacking my lips. I know this microphone's very sensitive. In, In the second episode, there's only two episodes, but in the second one, the host, he explores all the different types of stews. And, and one stew in particular, or soup, uh, it's called tang, And it's, it's traditionally made by boiling three different parts of this ox, right? We're told that they put the leg bone in, the knuckles, and the foot. And what they do is they put it in for several hours until the broth becomes milky and white and thick. And then as you prepare it, you can put all the different types of slices of meat and inwards, innards and all, you know, green onions and all that stuff. And, 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 and the host sits there and he's at the table. And, and, and surely enough, he's had this dish a hundred times. Surely enough, he's had this since childhood all the way to adulthood. But he sits there at the table. And you can tell by the way he engages with this meal that it is something special and dear, even though it's so simple. And so he sits there, and the table is set before him. I told you that uh, Presbyterian preachers are allowed one, one prop usage a year, right? So I'm, I'm doing it now. So You guys are looking at me like I'm a non-denominational. We're allowed one. Don't worry. This is all good, okay? God, we're allowed one prop use. So here it is. He, he's sitting there, right? And the first sip, and by the way, I, a lucky winner today is going to get this spoon. It's a special spoon. I, don't, I think we just got it at Ashi or so, someone gave it to us. But I don't know what it is. It says Casey Cree. That's what I thought. You know what would be interesting if we did a uh, study on all the different types of regions and types of spoon. But you know, those of you know, that this is a Korean spoon. I don't know what it is, but the length. Anyways, the broth comes out and then the first... And he opens it up, takes a bite of the, the rice. And then he goes in for a deeper of everything. Now all the meats and the stew, and he's like. Ah, you know that 
Ah, and those of you guys who like a hot stew or let me put this away. You guys are distracted. Don't worry. Lucky winner will get this today, okay? He exhales. And, and, so, and for many of you guys, you, you already know, if you enjoy soup, something hearty on a cold winter day, the, ah, oh, it says it all. And he says this. He says, oh, I would trade my soul for this. And you're just like, dang, where is that place? Book a ticket for me now. And, and it's curious. He, he enjoys this meal so much that he's willing to sell his soul for this. And we see, we see some aspects of this in our text today, right? Someone so hungry, so desperate, that they're willing to give away something so precious just for a taste. And we have to wonder, how can something so simple and familiar stimulate both a, a, a deep and dormant memory, yet at the same time fall fresh again with a new sense of mystery? It had the power to somehow make you forget and at the same time remember. The first sound was a slurp. The last sound was his soul leaving his body. <laughs> if you look in Genesis 27.4, we looked at this text last week. This is what it says. This is uh, uh, Esau's father, Isaac, speaking to him. He says, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love. And bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. And some of you foodies out there, go ahead. I just equipped you with a proof text. Like the Bible, the scripture, it does speak. You can enjoy food. It can be something your soul desires. But sometimes we can take it too far. Today we look at a deeper aspect of Jacob and Esau. We, we are looking at them too now as brothers. And what we're going to do as we consider their relationship as brothers or as siblings, we're going to see how it points to Jesus and then what it says about you and I as siblings. The perspective I'd like us to consider is that of a sibling. Think about your own siblings, your relationships with them, whether I know some of them are here sitting in this room with you, some of them are far away. I also know some of you may be only children, and if that's the case, I'm sure that there is someone that you relate deeply and intimately to with, like a sibling. I want you guys to think about them as we're sitting here being instructed by God's Word. And some of you are even living with roommates, and if you've been with them for a while, uh, I think this can also, be ap- can also be applicable to you as we look at the purview of what it means to see God's kingdom come and His will be done in our household. So the first thing, Jacob and Esau, let's just take a little snapshot here that, that the scripture gives us. If we look at Genesis 25, the next text here, this is what we're told. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. Isaac, the father, loved Esau because he ate of his game, and Rebekah, the mother, loved Jacob. Esau is a skillful hunter. He's a man of the field. He's scruffy. He's hairy. He's dark. He's loved by his father. Jacob is a quiet man. He's content to stay at home. He dwells inside, and he's loved by his mother. And you can already tell and sense that there are probably deep sibling rivalry. In many ways, you see that these two are so different, and you can only imagine the tensions, the fighting, the bickering, the comparing, the insecurities 
Obviously, I have a younger sister, and I couldn't help but think about our time together as we're growing up. And I want to be very gentle here because I know some of you guys love her a lot more than you love me. You know, it used to be growing up that she would hear, you're Walt's sister? I don't know what happened. Now all I hear is, you're Grace's brother? Let me tell you a little something about her, okay? I remember when we were growing up, when we were young and we would bicker a lot, that when we would be eating food, she, obviously, she didn't eat as much as me, and she would eat her portion and then go and throw it away for me to see. Literally, she gets up, puts it in the trash. Why would you do that? I would have eaten that. And she said, I threw it away so you can't have it. I was like, you little fox. My goodness. Some of you guys have experienced that. But I'll also confess, growing up, in the days when parents, you know, just left $20 and the TV on to watch their children for 10 hours a day. My sister and I, uh, obviously I was the older one, so I took care of the finances there. The $20, it was up to me how we spend it. Uh, we grew up in Ben Salem behind the strip mall. And there was a Popeye's there, a Wendy's, a McDonald's. And in the strip mall, uh, there were all these little stores. Um, and we would go, sometimes we would order pizza and Chinese, or we would go to the Popeye's. The Wendy's and McDonald's, you had, to, you had to cross a pretty busy street, so we avoided that. But what often happened was, and I saw the $20, okay, i got to figure out lunch and entertainment for us today. And what I would do is, Grace, what do you want? She'd tell me what she wants, and, you know, it's not too expensive. I'll get what I want. And we have money left over. The money left over just to hang out or spend what we want. And on that strip mall, there was a store. Uh, I don't remember what it's called, but they sold... Uh, Pokemon cards, Beanie Babies, action figures, things of that nature. And we would go and say, okay, Grace, you can pick out what you want. She would pick out what she wants. I'm like, no, that one's too expensive. All the while I'm doing the calculations because I know what I want, right? And so I'm just like, all right, you got $2.20, Grace. <laughs> I have like 8 to $10 left. And I would swindle her. And we just grew up this way, happy and blessed, <laughs> swindling one another, bickering, uh, and praise the Lord, he, he's brought us a long way. And some of you guys, as we're talking about this, you guys remember some of the tension, the funny moments, and the not-so-funny moments of your childhood, or even now with your siblings. I think about my own children, uh, Timmy and JJ, their brothers. And here's the funny thing. One, uh, they share the same birthday. And so I remember when JJ was born, on the same day, where we're trying to celebrate Timmy's birthday. I thought to myself, look at this guy. He's trying to subplant his brother right now. Of course, they're not twins, but I'm like, this guy trying to subplant his own brother. And it was humorous, and it's, it's, it's cool, I guess, that they share the same birthday. But I see them bickering a lot, especially as they get older. There are moments as a parent you're proud and that they're playing so well, and then there are moments you're like, ah, oh, separate. And just like Jacob and Esau, Timmy is a man of the field. He likes to go out, wrestle. He'll spend all his time out there unless you call him in. And J.J. is a, is a man who likes to dwell in tents. A couple of days ago, my wife is laughing because a couple of days ago, we sent both the kids out to play. We had enough. Go play. Just don't get hit by a car. Get out of here. All right, Timmy's playing. He's wrestling. His friends are coming out. He's like, ah, ah, playing Pokemon, ah, playing Monster and all this stuff. And J.J.'s trying to get in on it. He didn't, he didn't quite... 
um, was accepted. So he runs in and is like, I want to help mommy. I want to help mommy. And so Timmy's out there in the field wrestling. JJ's inside washing vegetables. He's like, I want to help mommy. And a lot of what we hear in the house uh, when they bicker is, JJ! Well, let me get the tone right. JJ! Hung on! JJ! Hung on! There's all this bickering. Look at that text of test. I'm sorry, I'm getting lost. Lord, help me. So in our text today, right, we're told that Jacob's inside cooking, washing vegetables, making soup, and all this stuff, getting food ready. Esau's out in the field. He comes in. He's exhausted. He's tired. He's starving. And look right here. This is the little dialogue between them. This is the snapshot of the sibling relationship we get here. Esau says, let me eat some of the red stew. I am exhausted. Jacob says, sell me your birthright now. What? Esau says, I am about to die. Of what use is my birthright to me? Jacob says, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil soup, and he ate and drank and rose and went away. And we're told that... Esau despised his birthright. And as we look at the relationship here, the immediate thing is we see that Jacob's sin is that he just straight took advantage of his brother. He asked for a disproportionate price for something that he's offering. Between siblings, you would think, you're like, oh, here, here, Esau, thanks for going out there and hunting and catching game. Here's some soup. But instead, he essentially steals his brother's birthright. Esau's sin here is that he despised. We're told that he despised his birthright. Now you've got to understand in the history of this family here that Esau probably grew up as the older son. And from a young age, heard stories about how his grandfather Abraham was met by the Lord and how he was told that he would be the one through whom which many nations would be blessed and he knows that his, eyes, his father Isaac played a part and the pressure of living with somehow that God's grand plan will also now work through Esau. Probably not something he wanted. Probably something he didn't really know exactly what it meant. He said, fine, you want my birthright? Take it. Give me the suit. How can we relate to them? Well, some of you guys are the older son or daughter, the elder born. And you know the pressures that comes with it. To always have to be perfect, to grow up fast, to shoulder responsibilities, to think of the family first, to take care of and ensure your family's future. Odds are you're still going to your parents' house to restart the router, read their mail, call up the credit card company, make sure their health coverage is carrying over to the next year. Most likely you've went to work as you were growing up with your parents, had to wake up early, couldn't play with your friends, and you didn't help them with the business. Some of you are younger children. Whenever you would ask, how come your older sibling gets to do or have the things they have, your parents' answer probably was simply that because they're older. You probably had hand-me-downs, when your older sibling got their permit, they probably got the brand new car, and you're riding this car now. You know the feeling of constantly being second to the golden child. Yeah, the older sibling went to work and helped the parents, but you also knew that they got special little treats 
when they went out to get items, when they had to do things. Yeah, there might not be as much pressure on you as a younger child, but you know there also lacks expectations. And what I'm describing here probably is a generalization that we can all relate to to some degree. And the difficult truth is that siblings are one of the hardest people to have relationships with. It's somewhat easier to love and have a relationship with friends or those who are even at church. But siblings is an aspect probably of our heart that's really hardened or can be hardened. And oftentimes, when we're asked to describe our siblings, sometimes we start out by saying, yeah, she's always like that. Yeah, that's him. Because there's a history of hurt. We all know some of the most common tensions are due to borrowing money from each other, judging one another and how we're raising our children now, and arguing about who's going to take care of mom and dad. So, so, so then the question is, what does it look like to, to see God's kingdom come and his will be done in our homes as it relates to our siblings, even though we may not even be living with them? What, what does it mean in those times when we gather with family, when our children sees and ask about, is that your brother, is that your sister mom, is that your brother dad? What does it mean for us as Christians, as siblings? Well, first, we have to look at Christ. And the first thing I want to mention as we look at Christ is that he is the better brother. And the second thing I want to mention, that he gives a better meal. So first thing, he's a better brother. Let's look at Hebrews 2 really quick. Hebrews 2, I'll read for us verses 10 through 11. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. This is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. And as we think about Jacob and Esau, the quickest thing for us to do is like, let's, be not, let's not like, be like them, let's be a little nicer, let's have a better relationship. But, but it falls short in addressing what it means as a Christian, a follower of Christ, to be in relationship with our brothers and sisters. And the reason why we're first looking at how it points to Jesus is because that's what informs us. That's what encourages us and challenges us. So the first thing, again, here that we have to realize when we think about siblings that Jesus is the better brother, the better sibling that you and I need and desire. He's not like Esau and Jacob in this context here. We see that Jesus goes through the wilderness, not just to play or frolic or hunt game or be satisfied or have an adventure. He goes through the wilderness of life. He comes down into his own creation and he suffers so that he can lay down his life. Not so that his hunger will be satisfied, but so that our hunger will be satisfied. Jesus is like this older brother who, who lives truly for us. He's the one who goes to work with the Father, yes. Not so that he can enjoy the, the, the special spoils and treats, but so that he can bring all that he and the Father has done home to those whom he loves, to those who have been entrusted to him, so that he can be a good older brother that takes care of, that 
changios, that, that <clears throat> draws near. We're told that he suffered to make all this possible. He didn't crack under pressure. He didn't say, why, why is all this pressure on me, God? Why do I have to be the one to secure all the people that you want to save? Why do I have to suffer? Why do I have to be born into this creation that I created? Gosh, it's humiliating. Why do I have to be beat? Why do I have to be born a carpenter's son? Why do I have to live poor? Foxes and birds have places to live, and I'm running around basically like a homeless person. Why do I have to carry this cross? Why do I have to bear the sins of the world? Why do I have to die like this, stripped naked and beaten among two other thieves? It's the opposite of all that, isn't it? He didn't count equality with God as something to be grasped, but he humbled himself being born in the likeness of man. He put on flesh so that he could endure the sufferings that you and I go through. That not only could he sympathize and empathize with us, so that having done so, he could save us. He came down to bear the sins of the world. He came down to rescue, to love, to give himself so that we would be saved. What do we mean by that? What is the relevance in this whole context? So that we would be saved as sons and daughters of God the Father. He willingly shares. He's utterly selfless. In fact, he sets a table for us. And he says, all those who are hungry and thirsty, come from your wilderness. So the second thing I want to point out is that Jesus offers the better meal. In Matthew 26, 26 to 28, let me read for us here. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. He sits there with his disciples those whom he calls brother, and he gives them bread and wine as it symbolizes his body and his blood. The Lord's Supper symbolizes the sharing of the Savior's birthright. The Lord's Supper symbolizes his sacrifice. The Lord's Supper shows his selflessness. And so we don't have to be like Jacob in these ways where we swindle and try to trick For our older brother, Jesus, wants to give and share this birthright. You see how much better he is. How a good brother he is. And I want us to to think about this. We we announced this week, and the reason why we always say we're going to have communion a week in advance is so that we can really prepare ourselves. So that we can anticipate And remind ourselves what it means to come to Christ's table who shares his birthright of eternal life and to be called children and adopted as sons and daughters so that we can spend all week anticipating, salivating, desiring, pondering, wanting, thinking and meditating and drawing near to take the Lord's Supper. You know, this is going to sound cheesy, but the best meal a Christian ought to ever have in this lifetime is the Lord's Supper. You mean that little 
that little dry wafer and that little grape juice? Is it even Concord? Is it 100%? I don't know, guys. But if you're curious, we can look it up for you. But that stuff matters. Talk about those. Why is that the best meal? Because it symbolizes the birthright that Christ has willingly given to all those who would call him older brother, savior, friend. You know, when I think about the Lord's Supper, I ask, how can something so simple yet familiar stimulate both a deep and dormant memory yet fall afresh again with a new sense of mystery? How is it that it has the power to both make you forget all your sin and shame and remember your identity in his glory? As we go to the last point, you know, I think you and I probably relate to Jacob and Esau in so many ways. In our relationship, not just with our siblings, but with Christ, I want us to ponder for a moment. How many times have we swindled our older brother Jesus? How many times have we said we're going to give all of these things, my life, my finances, my dreams, all that is in them, yet we still hold on to it so tightly? How many times have we squandered our older brother's birthright? Yes, I want this, and yet at the same time, we would give it up for a taste of this world so easily. But the good news is, friends, brothers and sisters, how often does our good older brother forgive us, come to us, feed us, remind us, and cause us to himself again? So as we conclude then, what does it mean to see God's kingdom come and his will be done in our homes as it relates to our siblings? I think the most simplest way is that it calls us to be like Christ, knowing that he is already our good brother, knowing that he has taken that role. And it calls us to point to him. So practically the first thing, I think there is a call here, having received not only forgiveness of our sins, but the birthright of Christ, that there is a call to forgive our siblings. And again, I don't know where we stand, what kind of tensions and difficulties are between our, your siblings. But I think there is a call to forgive the debts that your sibling may owe, whatever they may be. To love them. To be like Christ to them. Secondly, to pray for them. If you really cared about something or someone, I think the truth is that we would pray. And it's difficult, I know, because some of you guys have been in a relationship with your siblings for probably... I don't know, 10, 20, even 30 years. And it's so easy to see the, the record, the history, and say they're never going to change. And in some ways you're right. Outside of the grace of the Lord, they're never going to change. But pray for them, that, that, that they would see Christ as a good brother as well, that they would see that in him forgiveness of sins is possible, that a new identity is given, that a birthright can be given. And simply point each other the better sibling who is Christ. Some of us, I know, are praying for the salvation of our siblings. Some of us are avoiding our siblings. Some of us, even today, having come to church, this is the last thing I wanted to hear. But friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, you know that Christ is the good brother 
that he gives us the good meal, that it's worth all that we have to taste and see. And my last challenge is, will you prepare your hearts in anticipation for the Lord's Supper next week to think about this? And perhaps practically have a conversation and a time with your sibling as you think about Christ as our good brother. Point to him. Be like him. Come behold the wondrous mystery, Christ the Lord upon the tree. In the stead of ruined sinners hangs the lamb in victory. See the price of your redemption. See the Father's plan unfold. Bringing many sons to glory. Grace unmeasured, love untold. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that in Christ we receive adoption as sons and daughters. We thank you that his birthright is also extended to all those who trust in him, who are loved by him. We ask, Lord, because of Christ, that you would forgive us of our sins in the ways that we so often swindle and squander your grace and your gifts. And we ask, Lord, that you would remind us once more that we are indeed cherished, that we are loved as children, that we are protected and provided for. And would you remind us that Christ, our brother, is always there for us to draw, draw near to, to ask, to cry out to, to lean on, and to walk with. We pray, Lord, uh, having heard a difficult challenge perhaps for some of us, that you would draw near to us and even our siblings, that you would bring about salvation for those who are praying for the salvation of their their siblings, that you would bring about healing and reconciliation and forgiveness for those who have a tense relationship, that you would be honored and glorified, that we would see you more, that we would point to you more often in all the ways we may fail or fall short, that we would look to Christ, who is the better brother, who gives us the better meal. We pray that you would continue to grow us as we see and desire glimpses of the kingdom vision. Lord, we want to see your will be done here in our homes, and today particularly between the relationships we have with our siblings. Have your way in us and through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.